Welcome to the TASM Podcast. I'm Chris Kane with my co-host... Jay Thorne. What's up, Chris? Well, well, normally when you ask that question, my mind goes blank. But I prepared because today has been a day. First of all, I discovered that yesterday, which I drove a friend to a doctor's thing and then back was an all-day thing. I had the emergency brake on all day. All day. All day. And I was like, one, why does this car burn through gas so much? Two, why is it handle so weird? And three, why is the, like, it smelled like a burny thing? And I don't drive regularly. I'm not used to, like, I never use the emergency brake. So there was that. And then second, second, because that's not the only thing that I realized today or that happened today. I went swimming with my son. We drove to a nice little beach that's very calm and a rogue wave jumped up and I saw it coming. I grabbed my glasses and it smacked my glasses off my face. Nice. I did not find my glasses, Jay. I was 20 minutes from home in a car. Oh. I feel very um, guilty admitting this because it's like the, the visually impaired equivalent of drunk driving, but I did drive home. And I got home safely. I never went above, I was always under 60 kilometers per hour. But now, now I have a thing. I've realized I have a pattern. Every February, I make a very immediate, strong, big decision to change my life. And I've been wondering what this February is going to be. Well, now I know. My decision now is that I am going to get LASIK as soon as possible. <laughs> You're doing a good job of like listening to the universe when it's trying to tell you. <laughs> right? How was your week? <laughs> uh, good. I, I don't wear glasses, so I'm okay there. And I, I don't drive anywhere because uh, everything is still closed. So I'm just here again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it doesn't mean we don't have plenty to talk about. And I have a question for you. This came up in our group of Author Success Mastermind this week. And we had a good bit of discussion about it. It's one that comes up a lot. So I'm going to ask you... But how many books per year is normal for a writer? <laughs> oh, there are so many ways we could start this conversation, right? <laughs> Maybe, I'll tell you what I'd like to do first is say that Angela, I don't think Angela intended her question to be this way, but we all interpreted it that way. So, because <laughs> she kept saying, I was just curious what you guys were doing. I want to kind of give her that yes. shout out, make sure she knows like we're not targeting her. It is a really legitimate question and, it, and it's one that gets asked all the time. I think the way into this maybe is to answer the question with a question, which is how do you define normal? Yes, absolutely. 100%. I agree with how, that. How, how do you define normal? I define normal personally, as not generally normal for me, and I'm going to, I'm going to, so many caveats to this. Normal changes for me right now, normal is a book a month. And that is with co-writing, but that is my normal currently. I do not want it to always be my normal, but that is my normal. What's your and, normal? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think there's no such thing as normal. I think that's what we're, we're trying to say ultimately about this. I, I think maybe another way of phrasing it is saying that I can only consider what's normal and abnormal based on me. Yes. And that's it. So I, I look and say, okay, what do I feel like is normal? 
And then what am I doing now? And like you, that can change. Mm -hmm. So what was normal for me five years ago is not what's normal now. Yeah, and I was so... really wanted you to bring that up because uh, my normal has stayed pretty the, much the same for the four years that I've been writing, but your normal over the 10 plus years that you've been publishing has been different every few years. Right, right. And I think for me, normal is a combination, defining normal is a combination of a few things. It's expectations, and then it's what I know in my gut I can realistically do. It's some weird combination of those. I'm not a math person. Maybe I could come up with an equation to express that. I think it's sort of, what is it I, I want to accomplish? And then what's realistic for me? Here's an example. In, in 2009, when I first started thinking about writing and, and publishing, normal for me was writing. It had nothing to do with publishing because I hadn't published anything uh, KDP was relatively new. Joanna's podcast was up. There were a few others that were starting. And so normal was like, okay, well, I'm going to write for an hour before I go to work. And, and that's my normal. Well, you know, here we are 10, 11 years later, and, and my normal is completely different. And all I can do is judge what's normal or, or judge myself based on what I know I can accomplish. So if I'm writing an hour a day before or after work, that could be maybe I finish a book in a year or two. For me, that I would have considered that normal at the time. If you're trying to look at a global sense of normal, if you look historically, normal, and I'm using that in quotation marks, before indie publishing was a book a year. And that's what everyone says, but even that wasn't true. That is what publishers would publish for one name. There were authors who were defying that. Nora Roberts is one of the big examples. She was putting out, I think, two or three books a year. And she started her J.D. Robb pen name, I think, so that everything wasn't on her Nora Roberts name. But then you've got authors like Christine Catherine Rush. She says that when she was in, in traditional publishing, she was forced to publish under multiple pen names so that she could write the number of books that were normal for her to write but that publishing would also allow her to publish since they would not publish more than one per name. So when you define normal, when you're told by authorities what normal is, that's never normal. That's just what they will accept at any number of definitions. The definition changes based on what your criteria is. Again, just emphasizing that over and over. No matter who says what is normal, they're wrong. Well, let's talk about the underlying trigger for this question and conversation. It, it came from uh, a podcast interview, I believe. Yeah, Sasha Black's was, podcast, I think. Yes, and, and an author on there was talking about scaling back to three books a year. Right? So the, the question, the underlying trigger here is comparing yourself to other writers. What's been your experience with that, good and bad? Ooh, good and bad. Hmm. My experience. I actually, because I do write quickly, when other authors hear how quickly I write, my immediate emotional reaction to that is to qualify my quickness. Other people I know will get defensive because people will tell us, oh, you can't write good books that fast. And I have friends who will get really defensive. My immediate emotional reaction is to say, well, they're pulp fiction. Like my immediate reaction is to qualify my work so that if they ever look at it, they won't expect the greatness. And that's, 
ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous that that's my immediate reaction. And I've worked really hard to avoid those responses. It's really interesting just how our insecurities pop up, whether we write slow or we write fast, all about like, am I good enough? Am I doing the things the right way? The one reason I do like this question is it brings up this conversation and we do get to talk about expectations and how we all are completely different from each other. So the expectations ought to be different. Yeah, there's so many variables that go into that, that I don't believe you can ever have two writers and compare their output on anything because you have family situations, you have career positions, you have external responsibilities, you have possibly physical limitations or illness. There are so many variables that you can't simply look and say, well, uh, writer A produced three books and writer B only produced two. So therefore writer A is either more prolific <laughs> or writing worse quality books. Like mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it goes both ways. The comparisonitis angle is extremely dangerous. But I also want to acknowledge that I think there's an element to that can be positive in very, very small doses. So I think when I was starting out, and I think Lindsay Broker might be a good example for this. Early on, I didn't compare myself to Lindsay Broker, but I was aspirational according to what she was doing. So I wasn't saying like, oh, well, Lindsay puts out 17 books a month. That's true, by the way. So I have to put out 17 books a month, but I was like, okay, she's got a system and I wanna learn how to do that. And whatever that means for me, it doesn't mean 17 books, but maybe it's one or whatever. I think there's an aspirational element that you can look at another writer and, and admire their process or their system and use elements of that for you. I think it's dangerous when you start judging yourself based on your output compared to theirs. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of Clifton Strengths. If anyone who's listening hasn't heard of it, you can Google it and, and find out about it really quickly. But it describes elements of your personality, of what you value and, and how you work within the world. And I know that Jay and I are both high learners. I suspect that Rachel Heron is a high learner. I can't remember what she said uh, hers are. She has that blog, How Do You Write? She says she's a process junkie, and I totally get that because I am always examining how other people write or how they build their systems to see what pieces I might steal. And I, I think that that is healthy as long as you're not looking at anyone saying that's how I should be working. But when you look and say, would this work for me? Would this fit for me? And you give it a try or you dismiss it, you like know right away, like, nah, that probably won't work for me. I think that's extremely healthy. Yeah, I agree. I think when you're talking about creativity or artistic endeavors, you're really talking about a, a spectrum, right? It's not binary. It's not like, you, well, you can either do this or this. It's usually, where are you on the spectrum? I think you can be studying other people's work on one end of the spectrum and using that to inform what you're going to do. But if you go too far along that spectrum, it turns into comparisonitis or procrastination. Like maybe you're not comparing yourself, but you're saying, well, I'm going to study all of these other authors for six months to figure out how I'm going to write instead of doing the writing. Right. So, you know, it's not as simple as saying, oh, it's a good thing or bad thing. And I don't think we're saying that comparing yourself to other authors is always a bad thing, but there's a spectrum. And I think it's important to realize where you sit on that at any given time. How would you 
say, or what would you say is a indicator that you are of where you are stepping outside of the good study of others to the procrastination level or comparisonitis? What are your keys for stepping outside the golden zone? I think if you have that feeling in your gut that you're not doing as well as you should be because you're wasting time or wasting opportunity, that's one thing. But I think the red flag should come up if you accomplish something and then you immediately feel bad about it because it doesn't match someone else's accomplishment. Mm. I think that's the biggest danger. Like publishing one book is a big deal, (laughs) right? In this podcast, in our community, we are completely surrounded and immersed in all the people. Like we're all a big family trying to do the same stuff. And we forget that we're like, 0.001% of the world's population because we're, we're 100% of it in our bubble, right? And and most people, uh, this is sad, especially in the United States, most people will never read a book, let alone write one. We lose track of that. And we're talking about a very small microcosm of uh, society or culture. And so even one book, if, if you write one book and it takes you four years or 14 years, like that is still a worthy accomplishment. Now, if you wrote four books in one year and you had the exact same life circumstances and the following year you wrote one because you were laying on a couch a lot or watching a lot of TV or playing video games or or you were just wasting time, then you should feel bad about that because you're only using your own measurements, your own metrics to compare. But as far as comparing it to other authors or their productivity, it's usually the first sign. And, and it's funny, when it's happened to me, that's usually when it crops up. It's not when I'm not being productive. It's when I hit a milestone and then I go, yeah, but so-and-so did this, as opposed to being satisfied with what I did. That's where I see it. I, I always thought it would come up or I always expected it to come up when I'm really down on myself, but it, it comes in those weird places when I accomplish something. That's very interesting. I'm so grateful for my background in software development because there's, I pick up so many methodologies that I apply to how I work as a writer. And one of them is business slash software dev, but it's operating lean. So when I started, all of my time went to writing and the very, like in the bare minimum I needed on anything for publishing. I kept it that way until it got too painful to keep it that way where you know adding audio or different tasks doing some social marketing i focused a hundred percent on the writing until it became absolutely necessary to do something else and i think that tends to be how i change my process i absolutely observe everybody's process but most of the time i'm like i don't have time to try that yet Unless something's so big that I'm like, oh my gosh, I know that will work 100% for me. Steal it, yank it, put it in a box. And I, I think that for most people, that might be a really useful way to look at changing their process. I do know some people who every time they hear a new idea will try and switch 100% to that. And so they really interrupt their production because they're always trying something new versus just focusing on getting what they need to done at the base action of their goal, which for most of us is going to be the focus on the writing when it gets too painful to not do other things, then do the other things. 
Yeah, that's an interesting observation. My guess would be if you just went and talked to someone who you feel is really prolific or productive, they probably don't change, they don't upend their system all the time, right? They, they probably have something that's been working for them and they make minor tweaks or adjustments, but they're not constantly shifting to the next newest, greatest productivity app or writing tool or whatever. There might be something to learn there from that. The only thing that I have as an example that, that lives in my brain is when you get to a good level where you know your system, but you have this feeling like you could be doing 100% better if you understood yourself, if you kind of started from scratch. And I think of Tiger Woods when I think about this, how he was at the top of his career, but he knew he could do better. And so he went way back to the basics, completely broke all his habits, started from square one and relearned everything. That idea lives in my head a lot. But the thing to remember about that is he got to mastery level before he did that, before he did a full restart. Yeah, again, if you use the, the spectrum analogy, what you're talking about is hitting a learning plateau where you've established something that you've developed competency or even mastery at it, but you feel like there's another gear or there's another place to go, but you're right. You have to reach mastery first and mastery not compared to other people, but compared to what your expectations are. Yeah, agreed. Good question. Yeah, it developed a lot of good conversation in the group and it, it's been ticking around in my mind all week. So I was glad to yeah. hash it out with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked it. Like I said, I, I think too that it's not always necessarily a bad thing. It's just mm -hmm. sort of being very self-aware and meta about where you are and how and, and what your metrics for success are and just keeping that all in check. So what do we want to ask the listeners then? I would love to know how folks either avoid comparisonitis or use it to their advantage. Excellent. And I want to thank everyone for joining this week. If you would like to be part of these conversations real time, you can join us at www.theauthorsuccessmastermind.com. And there you'll be able to comment on this episode and find links to join us in our community.